so going back to your your playing coaching days what is like the the shortest roster you've ever played a game with <laughs> or, or have you ever canceled a game due to lack of players I wonder where this is coming from. <laughs> <laughs> asking a question without asking a question. <laughs> well, we're moving that direction, Don. <laughs> Tech Hockey Guide presents the Chasing McNaughton Podcast, covering the Michigan Tech Huskies and the CCHA with your host, Tim Brown, Rob Gilreath, Dustin Lindstrom, and Matt Cavender. Welcome to episode 16 of season three of the Chasing with Cotton podcast presented by Tech Hockey Guide. I'm Tim Brown, your host, and I'm joined this week by Dustin Lindstrom. Hey, everyone. Rob Gilreath. Hey, guys. And Matt Cavender. Hello, everybody. Our special guest this week is com- the commissioner of the CCHA, Don Lucia. Thanks for joining us this week, Commissioner Lucia. Uh, my pleasure to be with you guys today. Uh, this week, we'll chat with Commissioner Lucia about what happened uh, in the first half of the season within the CCHA and around college hockey and ask some questions about what we have to look forward to for the rest of the season and in the future as it relates to the CCHA. Uh, depending on how long we go, we might try to discuss the results of the GLI and this week's Joe Sean hour, but I fully expect most of our time to be spent with Commissioner Lucia and most of those topics to be held for next week since we don't have any recaps to do next week. Uh, All right, let's do the thank you notes plus a brief note from our sponsors, and we'll be back to talk with Commissioner Lucia. Fibke Dental is a general dentistry practice located in downtown Rhinelander, Wisconsin, home of the Hodag. Look online at FibkeDental.com or find them on Facebook. They do pain-free dentistry for kids, adults, people that went to great schools, and people that ended up at Northern Michigan. Stop in and say hi between 8 and 5 and tell them THG sent you. That is F-I-E-B-K-E dental.com. Do you work in manufacturing, product design, or product development? Is your business trying to improve efficiency while also producing at scale? Livonia Technical Services can help. They provide world-class quality improvement training and consulting for failure modes and effect analysis, product development, and cost reduction. All things that could help Northern Michigan assemble a competent defense. If you think your business could use a prevention mindset and reduce manufacturing costs, a partnership with Livonia Technical Services might be right for you. Check them out at LivoniaTech.net. That's L-I-V-O-N-I-A Tech.net. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Uh, welcome back. Let's get right into things with Commissioner Lucia. I just wanted to start off by thanking you for joining us again after our uh, great chat in the summer that no one will ever hear, thanks to my inability to hit the record button. Uh, <laughs> but I definitely hit record today, so we're good. Um, other people will hear it this time, so that's that's nice. Weren't you able to do a synopsis from our uh, summer call after? 
Uh, we talked about it and it just never happened. I think we've rehashed a few of the things you said on other episodes and people keep getting upset with us because they can't listen and we know that. So we're happy to have you back on to probably touch on some of that stuff, but in a little bit different way. Um, kind of wanted to start off with like a mid-season recap. What do you think has been like the greatest success of the league through the halfway point here? Well, I think one of them is the competitiveness. Obviously, Minnesota State has, uh, you know, shown to be one of the top teams in the country, currently ranked number one. Uh, not only have they done well within the conference, but they've uh, played a lot of the best teams across the country from each of the leagues and has fared very, very well. So they've kind of taken off up from where they were a year ago. But I think the, the big thing for me, is how competitive it's really going to be in the middle of the league. Uh, home ice, two, three, four, I think it's going to be a real battle. And, uh, you know, between two and, and, and six, Ferris is starting to come on a little bit. We all knew that uh, University of St. Thomas would take some time to develop their program. They weren't going to do it in a year. So no surprise with me there, but uh, just how competitive it's going to be for that home ice in first number two, three, and four in the playoffs. Yeah, no, I think it's been great how how competitive it is of what you got six points separating second from sixth, even though there's a little bit of difference in games played there for a couple teams, but still very competitive. And um, I, I know as a tech fan, it's been frustrating, I think, how uh, how competitive some of those series have been versus maybe what we had hoped, especially with, with how the team has played outside of um, the actual goal stats. Um, but it's, it's nice to, to see the competitive nature and then to have, you know, two teams currently, like this is the time of year where pairwise really starts to get looked at and to have two teams in the top 15 is, is great to see. And obviously as tech fans, we're happy to see that Michigan Tech is one of them. Uh, and the non-conference relative success has been good. Uh, so what do you think are areas that the, the conference needs to improve on? Well, I just want to go back uh, for a second to uh, one of the things that, that uh, I've had the opportunity to do this fall. I've been to every building uh, and, and been to games, and, and I was at the Tech Northern Series, home and home, and uh, that was a real highlight for me. I had experienced that, that rivalry before. And uh, I was just really excited to see Tech's rink pack, the flags, all the, all the additions that have been made to the McGinnis Ice Arena, from the suites to the uh, 555 Club and everything else. Uh, what a great college facility that is right now. And it just reinforces that commitment level Tech has had and, and really everybody else in the league. And, and I think that's one of the things that's impressed me as well, that you know, attendance is pretty darn good across the league. Uh, the games that I've been at, uh, I, I, that's one of the things I was impressed with, the, the, the fan attendance, because we all know in, in a lot of sports right now, attendance seems to be going down a little bit in person. But I think for our first year, I think it's been a real plus for what we've seen so far this year. Uh, as far as improvements, obviously the, the importance of non-league games and it's something I know we touched on uh, with the coaches before and certainly even the ADs that because of our footprint, we're going to have a lot of games with the NCHC and with the Big Ten teams. And, you know, the, as you know, the better we can do in non-conference, not only an individual team, but uh, as a whole, 
the better it is for everybody. And, uh, you know, the goal is obviously to get as many teams as we possibly can in the NCAA tournament. Minnesota State is, you know, in a safe position. Tech has uh, put themselves in a position where, you know, it's they don't have to rely on anybody else, really. They just have to, to win here down the stretch and, and have a pretty good playoff run. And, and they, they should be a team that gets in and, and hopefully a, a third team can find their way in as well. And then I think you could say it'd be a, a heck of a first year, year for the CCHA. Uh, the other thing that I've, I've been impressed with is the streaming element that uh, I had not watched much streaming hockey before this year. And uh, the graphics packages Dom put together, the added cameras, what we've seen as far as uh, replays, uh, referee mics. I think those have been a real positive. And, you know, even some of the feedback that we're getting from fans that, you know, our streaming's better than even, you know, what they've seen in the Big Ten and on, and on par with everybody else. So to me, those are real positives and what we've seen. So now we just want to continue to grow and, and hopefully we'll knock on wood that, you know, COVID doesn't take away games or an opportunity for fans to come to the games. The streaming is a huge difference. Just watching the GLI with what Miss uh, with what Michigan and Michigan State put up together compared to what we've been used to the rest of the year with the new CCHA stuff is it's night and day. It's it's an impressive difference to see from a you know when you see the Big Ten you expect to see something fancy I guess kind of as the as the big premier culture right and you didn't see that at all in their streaming package. It was really frustrating to watch those games uh, as opposed to what we've been used to the rest of the year. And, that, and that's a real credit to Dominic Hennig. Uh, he, he just has done an unbelievable job of putting all that together, uh, something that was his vision. He understood the importance of it. Uh, and he really uh, – fight is not the right word, but really put together reasons why we needed to upgrade from graphics to more cameras to 1080p, uh, all that. And, and I think that as we look at the games, and I know – even myself, it's like, I, I couldn't be more impressed with the quality. It's like, oh, when I'm watching a game streamed on Flow Sports, it's it, it seems like I'm watching a game on what could be NBC Sports, ESPN, or whatever. The quality is that good with the HD, the lighting's better. And I just, again, the, the credit goes to Dom and, and, and pushing this on our ADs and, and presidents and, and, and for our ADs and presidents to agree to do it because it did take a real financial uh, commitment from them, but that's part of the reason why the CCHA formed uh, because of the commitment level of these institutions have for their hockey programs. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I've also been impressed with in, in terms of the stream quality because Dom, when he was on here, we we talked about how we were we loved all of his ideas. We loved where his vision was, but there was that element that it was going to take a lot of money and institutional buy-in in order to make those things happen. So it's a credit to all of, the, all of the institutions and the league that there has been that buy-in to create a product that's that good to watch. Well, even the score bug. I mean, you look at that score bug, now the penalties are on there, the countdown clocks, shots on goal. Um, so for the most part, everybody's done a really good job with that. There was a couple of hiccups in the month of October. You know, as we know, the college hockey stats, that was a big piece of it. But, you know, week by week, things improved. And then by around Thanksgiving time, mid-November, I, I think we're in a really good spot and it's only going to get better in uh, the second half of the year and years to come. No, it's amazing how much the, my perspective on it all changed with those two games against the big 10 schools last week, because like simple things like uh, the first 10 minutes of the game against Michigan, they had Michigan tech in white with a yellow background and he couldn't read it for the score. 
and and then they and then when we played Michigan State, we had a power play and they had the Western Michigan logo up there from yesterday or the day before. And it's like those little attention to detail things that feels like the CCHA has done a really good job of just make you realize that they care. Whereas the Big Ten hockey and a lot of that stuff that gets pushed to the Big Ten plus where you're paying extra feels like such an afterthought where they're just expecting you to pay for it, whatever the quality, because it um, and the other thing that was weird to me is I had to restart the feed a couple different times. And on my phone, it asked me if I wanted to go live or start from the beginning. But on the on the app, it just started from the beginning. And then I'm like, did puck drop yet? And it was like, oh, yeah, I have to fast forward 20 minutes because the feed started 20 minutes ago and the game just started. And all these silly little things that I don't notice on flow anymore that the, like it really shaded my view of things with just last week's experience. Cause I didn't even have that when I did watch NCHC TV for the, what was it? Minnesota state Michigan game at the, the icebreaker, I think it was. So. And that's what I've been impressed with. Like I've, I have access to the NCHC as well because we had a number of non-league games, especially early in the season. And then certainly this past weekend uh, it, and, and to be able to, put ourselves on par because as we know, that's a hockey league, you know, the CCHA is a hockey league and, and uh, you know, the big 10 is an all sports league. And let's face it that, you know, football 99% of the time for the big 10, they're going to be concerned with their football programs, and, you know, because that's what drives uh, the cart there. And uh, that's the beauty of certainly the CCHA that our BS sport, our BCS sport is is college hockey, and they pay attention to it, and the ads are into it. Uh, I know that even getting to every facility and sitting down and having an opportunity to talk to uh, all the ads and and a, and a few of the presidents when I went around, that you know they're at the games, they're all into it, uh, and they want to see their teams do well. And uh, that was certainly the case when I was at Tech, whether it was you know being in the president's box for. Uh, before the game and after the periods and, and visiting and, and certainly Suzanne's vision and, you know, just remember even going to her office and watching the students are all wrapped around up by her office waiting to get in the games and how impressive that is. Yeah. The way that they've done the student tickets that way, it drives some demand there and you see that wrap around on occasion. They'll do a walkthrough just showing everybody waiting to see it's, it's definitely a, a far change from when, when Tim and Dustin and I were in school <laughs> where there was, you know, two rows of students waiting to see Minnesota come in and crush us. <laughs> but it's great to see. I mean, just the environment. Yeah. I, I, I was at the game. I felt like I was at a European soccer match with all the flags that were being waved by the students, which is great. Uh, and and I, yeah. I put that atmosphere up with anybody. <laughs> You just hockey. touched Matt's heart right there. <laughs> that was that's that's a relic of my Misfits presidency. I was the okay. like we, we there was always flags, but we I realized we had so many BC players, so I got the first British Columbia flag, and then everyone was like, "Well, why don't we get one for everybody?" And then that's that's where that kind of stemmed from. And I I interned for a soccer team for a while, so that was something that I brought over, and I'm very happy to see that continuing on. Well, your legacy lives. <laughs> Yeah, well, everyone it, adds their own little flair to it. Like Tim's the one that started it, and then each successive president kind of makes it their own way, and it's kind of cool to see which what, what, what kind of stuff sticks. But no, so, but it's fun just to go around and see just the, all the commitment levels that, that every every school has to their programs and, and their facilities and the upgrades. Because it's been a number of years since I've been in, in, a, in a lot of those facilities, and 
that's one thing I'm really impressed with right now with the league. We, all, we have nice facilities. You know, uh, St. Thomas uh, is going to be building one in the future, and theirs is going to be state-of-the-art. So we're very fortunate to have the facilities we do in our league. So you said you got to go up to the, the Tech Northern Series, right? That's the weekend you were up there? You got to see yes. both, both venues? Uh, yes, I beyond did. Beyond what you've already said, like what was your experience with, with that rivalry itself? Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I talked to Grant before, and uh, his comment was that, you know, it's kind of like the Minnesota-North Dakota rivalry. Every bit is, <laughs> is, is big. Uh, and, and so one of the things you'll get a kick out of this, I had to uh, – I, I try to wear the colors of wherever rink I'm in. So, you know, I don't want to be biased <laughs> and everything like that. So I'm at tech and I have my gold tie, but before I came up, I, you have to understand, I did not own a green tie. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to go to my sons. I said, you have any uh, green ties? I, I got to go get one because I do not own a tie. Cause it was a kind of blasphemous for me to put on a green tie. I felt like I was choking myself when I was tying up the noose. Uh, but no, I just, you know, just the, the student involvement. The other thing that I was impressed with, as, as intense as a rivalry was, it, it, it seemed like almost a friendly rivalry where everybody, whether when you're at Tech's building or at Northern's building, people had their signs and the, in, in good humor. But I didn't see any of the viciousness in the stands or anything like that where, you know, a, a Tech fan would be really giving it to a Northern fan or a Northern fan was really giving it to a tech fan. It was, it seemed like it was a, a comfort level to go in each other's facilities, which is, which is great to see and healthy because I mean, you want to go to the games and you want to be able to, your team does well and give it to the other fans. That's all part of a rivalry, but uh, I just felt it was a really respectful and healthy rivalry. And I think that's one of the things that impressed me. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the UP showing. You're right there, right? You know, well, we, we hate each other. It's like brothers, sibling rivalry type thing, right? Yes. You're the, we're the only ones allowed to stomp on the other one. As soon as it gets out of the UP, we're all going to support each other. Even yeah, though that's it a makes good way us to throw up, throw up a little bit in our <laughs> mouth when we have to talk about Northern that way. But <laughs> yeah, that's, it's definitely that's the case. You get that whole UP, you know, solidarity, if you will. Mm-hmm. Everybody likes Lake State. And then the two guys in the Western half kind of hate each other a little more. But, you know, we will we'll support each other once you go past, past the UP. <laughs> well, that's, and that's, that's healthy. Yeah. It, it was a little weird rooting for them against BU, but we had to do it. Right. Yeah. Right. And that was fun. <laughs> fun to watch. It was honestly, although confusing. Yeah. Cause that was the weekend they wore their national championship team jerseys with the names of the players from that team. And I was like, wait, he didn't score. That was somebody else. And I didn't recognize yes. half the names. Like I think the one that finally put it together for me was the, the name and number of the goaltender, that's the one that made me realize what was going on about halfway through the game. It was a great concept too, because when I watched the same thing, because that was back in my era, I remember, you know, a lot of, I actually remember seeing some of those kids out in the recruiting trail that ended up going to play for Northern uh, back in the day. But uh, I thought it was great. Another thing is that we all have to, and what you talked about, we have to cheer for our own teams, but we have to cheer for CCHA teams when they're playing non-league. And that's that whole, you know, sticking up for the league. And as you say, you know, you're, you're have a rival and, but you, when you're not playing each other, you, you kind of cheer for the other team. And that's the way our league has to be. And it's important. Those non-league games, as we know how important those are for, 
uh, like tech right now, the better everybody else does non-league, the more it's going to, more it helps tech come the end of the year in the pairwise. And that's how important it is. So, you know, I know back in the day in the WCHA, we fought like heck, but I mean, everybody was uh, for the WCHA come the end of the year when it came to playoff time and they wanted the teams to do well, even though there was times you, maybe there was a rival that you didn't want to do too well, but <laughs> it was still, it was still good for the league. And, and it, even at, at times how difficult that was, it, it still, you take a lot of pride in the league doing well. And that's the, that's where we want to get to the same way that, you know, we, we want our fans to take pride in what other league members are doing, whether it's on a conference during the course of the season. And certainly once the playoffs begin at the end of the year. Yeah. And flow hockey provides a really easy way to follow the league, right? When you do have a full league subscription without an option to just have your own team. I know I'll pop on the games that aren't tech games. If I don't have something else on, and I'll watch, you know, I'll watch Northern play the, the Boston schools, right? And, and watch them sweep. That was fantastic. I'll, I watch BU, uh, BG play, right? So it, it's something that I think a lot of us that are big hockey fans that do have flow hockey, you're paying a decent chunk of change for it, and take advantage of it and watch the other CCHA teams too. It's it's a nice thing about the way that streaming works. Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And like for myself, that's how I spend my Friday, Saturday nights. Now, if I'm not at a game, I mean, I'm bouncing around you know, from Eastern time to central time to, it gives you an opportunity to maybe not watch every game from start to finish, but a period here and a period there and check in how the teams are doing, you know, it gives me a chance to evaluate with the referees. And certainly during a game, I'm texting back and forth with Dom. I'm texting back and forth with Kevin Langseth, our our head of officials on on different things that are going on. And and, uh, I think that's been real helpful as well. Yeah. So going back to your your playing coaching days, what is like the the shortest roster you've ever played a game with, <laughs> or, or have you ever canceled a game due to lack of players? I wonder where this is coming from. <laughs> <laughs> asking a question without asking a question. <laughs> well, we're moving that direction, Don. <laughs> well, I'll, 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 I, I looked it up because I knew there was a game. I think it was seven, eight, somewhere in that time when we went to play Minnesota State shorthanded and it was during the World Juniors. We lost five guys in the World Juniors and we must have had some injuries because we played with 15 skaters that night. We had nine forwards and 60 and obviously our goalies. And I, it never crossed my mind that we couldn't play. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, that's amazing <laughs> me. <laughs> and so we did play. We actually won the game. Uh, and, and uh, but again, I mean, just you knew you were going to be shorthanded uh, at that time with guys at the World Juniors. But at the same time, it gave other players an opportunity. Guys that didn't get to play a lot, they were excited to play in those games at, at Christmas time. And it gave them an opportunity to, to feel more a part of it. So, um, you know, is never, we never did not play a game because of it. So I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Well, those are my memories of Michigan. When I became a fan of Michigan tech at the GLI is they always lost a handful of players. And it always seemed like Michigan tech found a way to make a couple of the players that normally don't play into stars, whether it was, uh, you know, a goalie who rarely ever played or, or a fourth line forward who suddenly get in the second, second line minutes or whatever, where 
you would think Michigan Tech could do better because they weren't losing anybody, yet Michigan always seemed to find a way to win in the Red Berenson years. Like they had a straight stretch there where I think they won the tournament eight years in a row or something. And that was and, kind of during the era when I started caring and went to one or two of them. And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I was very surprised uh, when I found out about what was transpiring. I didn't quite understand it originally that I thought they were just canceling everything. I didn't realize originally that they were playing tech and then not playing the next day. I thought there was, you know, if they needed, they felt they needed more rest. I, I would look to a different solution, maybe have a day off in between because not like Western was traveling anywhere. So both teams could easily play I think my, my memory is correct, Wednesday, Friday, instead of Wednesday, Thursday. I think the dates were Wednesday, Thursday. I just, I don't think it was a good luck for college hockey. Um, and and certainly the Great Lakes is one of the go-to tournaments in, in all of college hockey. It has been over the years. And certainly with uh, when it was played at the old Joe Lewis Arena over the years. And and hopefully they can get back there and, and get that tournament back going like it like it has been. Because... I always looked at great, the Great Lakes as just one of those signature events that we had in college hockey, much like the bean pot. As a as a commissioner, are you concerned about you know, what transpired, setting some sort of precedent that this is something that could happen in the future with respect to you know, impacting pairwise, or do you think this is a you know a one off situation? I think it's a very good question and a fair question. I, I know that uh, I talked to uh, uh, Josh Fenton um, uh, during this time. And one of my concerns was, you know, will teams use this as an out not to play a game? I mean, you could be at the end of the year, you could be a bubble team, you don't want to lose a game. And although we don't have many non-conference games yet left, our teams, there's been some non-conference games canceled. And would those games have taken place if it was a conference game? For me, uh, if you the rules shouldn't change if the protocols are set up like our if we have protocols which we do set up for how many guys can play are available to play in a game, it shouldn't necessarily be different from a conference game versus a non-conference game. As how I look, I mean, you may be hosting and, and a team doesn't show up. That's a big financial fight for the home team. Uh, a lot of it goes into it, so. Uh, I just think it's something as a commissioners in our next call that we have to have a little discussion uh, about. And now the NCAA, there's no such thing as a forfeit. If you don't play a game, it just goes as a no contest. So there's really nothing you can do from that standpoint. But, you know, I, I, I think we want to make sure we have the integrity of the game. Um, the old saying, we always want to make sure we take care of the game. I know that as we get through now at Christmas time with what's transpired with COVID, that, you know, we were re-examining some of our protocols as a league, you know, at this time, uh, because it seems like the next month uh, with this new variant, it's really whether you're vaxxed or unvaxxed, it really doesn't seem to matter. People are getting it. And, and uh, it's something we have to take a look at right now. But I, I'm just hopeful that good sportsmanship will play itself out, that uh, you will play the games as scheduled unless you're really truly were in a situation where you were so shorthanded. And even then, if you can play a game, maybe we need to look at, you know, having a day off in between that second game if somebody was really shorthanded skater-wise. So, you know, I I just would like to see us do everything we can to play the games. Um, Kids want to play. I would assume that the kids that 
that didn't get to play a lot at Michigan would love the opportunity to play Western Michigan the next night. They never had to. Again, that wasn't my decision. Um, that's something they'll have to live with. Um, but I'm just hopeful that uh, we can get our games in and, and all of college hockey can look at it as, you know, we're going to do everything we can to, to get the games in and not, you know, try to pull any shenanigans because of pairwise implications on the line. Yeah, and I think that's what frustrated me the most about that whole situation is that we're living in another kind of scary peak of COVID where, like, the NHL had to shut down for a bit. There are – there exists legitimate reasons to cancel a game right now. And when a fan originally reads that, they think somebody's got a COVID situation. Why are they playing Tech first and not Western? And then you come to find out that they just didn't want to play the game because they didn't have their best players where there's – that's just that's just unprecedented. Like in hockey, you or in any sport, really, you just if you got the players, you play the game. And they weren't so shorthanded they couldn't play the game. It was just it was it's one of those things where it did kind of call into question the integrity of the game. And where, what precedent does this set if we don't if we do or don't do something about it? You know? Yeah, and that's I think that's the difficult part because you if you look at well, it was two or three years ago. I mean, you're you're you can only address eighteen skaters per game and. You know, I think we all saw that Michigan had 18 skaters for the game. And, you know, again, that was their call. You know, I'm not into the meetings that they're having. I was just very surprised of, of, of what took place uh, and that other game was not played. That, that The GLI is never a shock to their schedule, and neither is the fact that they're going to lose a handful of players to juniors. So it just, it really, especially to our fan base, really didn't sit right that they decided to do that. Well, I'm willing to bet it didn't sit real well with the Western Michigan fan base as well. Yeah, <laughs> based on the reactions to some of my tweets, the Western fans were feeling pretty similarly. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think I heard even some of the players were commenting from Western, uh, yeah. and, and and it's understandable when you make a, a a decision like that. So again, I hope that does not happen anymore um, because I don't I don't think it's a good look for for college hockey in general. No. And I can't imagine the 18 skaters that did dress for tech are all that excited with not getting that opportunity to play another game. Um, and hopefully, you know, up for, for their, from their perspective, score a goal since they didn't score yeah. one against tech in 65 minutes. Um, but you mentioned that the consistency between conferences, is there actually like a rule in the CCHA about like a minimum number of skaters to play a game or anything like that? Yes. Yes, there is right now. We do have that in place. We're looking at it again right now. I mean, one of the, I think right now we only need 13 skaters and one goalie available um, to play a game. And that would be basically nine forwards and, and four defensemen and a goaltender. Now, uh, I haven't seen us get to that point. Uh, up until a month ago, we did have a rule where you had to have two goalies, but we've since changed that. Um, I think people felt pretty comfortable that, uh, you know, you, if one goalie is available, if somebody got hurt on Friday, you, you know, you look to bring in a second goalie the next night. But, you know, if a goalie gets hurt on a Friday during a game, your other goalie, you don't have another backup. So he's playing. So, you know, the chance of somebody getting hurt, a goalie doesn't happen very often in the game. And so I think we feel comfortable at least right now. And certainly if that did happen, you know, the referees would be told if nobody breathes on the goalie, make sure you call a penalty. Um, to make sure nobody's, you know, running into them or anything like that. But uh, we want to do everything we can to get our games in, and, and that's the goal. And, and, and I, as again, as I said earlier, I'd probably be in favor if, if we were in a situation like that playing under 
so many players and, you know, we don't have a, a, a number on it yet, but maybe do, we do have a day off in between just to make sure we get that second game played in, in a two game series, because it would be, it would be difficult to play back to back with nine and four. Uh, I don't know what the exact numbers are in the East Coast League. I think in the East Coast League, you can only dress 16 players, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's like 10 forwards and six defensemen. Um, and so they they do it on a regular basis. So uh, I think we can get the games in. I mean, kids are young. They want, they want to play a lot. And uh, we want to do everything we can to get the games in. So another question. Um, one thing that has been discussed a lot, I think, in a lot of different Western hockey circles and a topic that we've talked about on the podcast is the current situation with NCAA regionals and the, the fact that we really lack good locations and, and hosts in, you know, Western college hockey land. Is there a concerted effort or an, uh, anything going on with the league to try to improve that, to potentially host regionals as a league or to encourage league members to host in, in the West so we don't have to travel to Eastern Pennsylvania for a, a Midwest regional? Well, the difficulty right now is the coaches have preferred not to have uh, on-campus sites, which has made it more difficult for people to bid because it's a bid process. You have to guarantee so much money, and that includes the uh, – the venues have to bid on that or an institution guaranteeing so much money. Uh, so that's been one of the problems in, in the West. Uh, in the East, everything's in such close proximity. I mean, most of the time it's either going to be in Providence, it's in Worcester, it's in Bridgeport, it's in Albany. It's almost always in one of those four sites. And as you know, if you go on the East Coast, unlike the Midwest, you know, three-hour drive, you're at pretty much all those places from, from most right. schools. So. You know, that, that's a little bit more problematic. I wouldn't be personally opposed to having more games on campus sites. I think it's more exciting. I think we've seen that in the CCHA. Uh, you know, you go on the road all the time. I think it's you have just as good a chance to win on the road in a one-game shot as you do anywhere else. So. I don't think we're going there. I don't think the coaches want to go there. Too many of them don't at this point in time. But back in the day, that's certainly what we did. You know, the higher seeded hosted until you got to the frozen four. And, and so we'll see how it all plays itself out. But, you know, you'll continue to see Fargo, uh, Loveland now this year. Last year, they couldn't have fans. We'll see how that works. Denver, obviously, it looks like they're going to be an NCAA tournament team. They'll be located there. Uh, so hopefully that will help with attendance. Sioux Falls had a good... Uh, uh, attendance a few years back, you know, uh, you know, the problem is like in the Minnesota area, there's not a lot of great venues and, and that's, that's the that mid-sized venue, that's six to 8,000. That, that's what we struggle with in the West. That's not a campus site. We've been, we've been preaching that for years, Tim and I, that <laughs> somebody in Minnesota needs to build a good like six to 8,000 seat arena because we do not have a good place, you know, other than some of these on-campus facilities to, to host places like to host games. Well, and it gets back to, you know, Duluth has one at 6,000. It's called the Amsoil right. Center. Yeah. Right. Know, the, the, Resch, <laughs> the Resch Center has held it before in Green Bay. But again, that that's a pretty long hike for most people. It's not like it's right next to other than in Wisconsin and uh, the UP schools. It's not like it's close to anybody. Uh, so it's just, 
part of the problem is, is we're so spread out in the West. I mean, when you go from Bowling Green to, um, you know, Denver in the West, well, you certainly don't have that in the East and that's what makes it so unique. So it, it takes the right teams and, you know, North Dakota's bid on Fargo. Well, they're, um, they're always there. So guess what? It's always going to be sold out. Yep. So Fargo feels very comfortable in putting in a bid at a pretty high amount in order to, to get the regional. Now, Penn State did that with uh, Allentown. Um, and again, we'll see how successful that is this upcoming year with um, uh, fans involved again, because as of now, it doesn't look like Penn State will would be an NCAA tournament team. It'll definitely be interesting, especially with how good the West is this year. And I think I just saw somebody point out that, what, six of the top seven teams are flights and to all of the regions. And it's, it's just a weird spot. And it doesn't help anything that, I mean, we've said this many times, like the, the best venues in the Midwest either don't get used because of bad experience previously, like Green Bay, or there's no team in Illinois, so why are you going to go to Peoria? And there's no team in Iowa, so why are you going to host in Des Moines or one of the other USHL rinks? And there's just not enough options. And the amount of money that you have to commit to to win these bids just doesn't really line up with most of the Midwest institutions' ability to take on that risk. And and that's one of the big things we were kind of wondering is, is as a league, is there talk about trying to bid jointly to to the problem with bidding jointly is nobody gets guaranteed of being placed there, but is there talk of bidding jointly or, or coming up with some kind of rotation where they all bid and, but you all take on the, the, the cost benefit of hosting? No, there has been uh, again, no talk of that because again, the venues, I mean, the ideal situation would be, you know, some, some place in the Minnesota area or Colorado, some place in the Michigan area. And I've been to I've been to regionals at Toledo. Uh, I've seen regionals at uh, in uh, uh, Grand Rapids, uh, and and neither of them were very successful. The most successful regionals I've ever been a part of uh, as a coach were on campus. Whether we hosted at Minnesota, North Dakota hosted, um, I think Colorado College hosted. You know, after I was already gone there, but they hosted a regional. Uh, uh, Michigan hosted, Michigan State hosted in the past. I think Notre Dame has hosted. Uh, so on hosting on somebody's campus seems like it's the best way to ensure more people bid and um, more opportunity for for better attendance at a, at an on campus site. So I'm I'm personally, again, I'm not against on campus sites because it seems that they have been the most successful. Um, you know, does it matter if you're playing North Dakota and Fargo with 5,000 people or you're playing in Engelstead with 10,000, 12,000 people? I'm not sure how much difference it makes other than they're not in their, their same locker room. Um, it's still real still green. <laughs> yeah, it's still, it's still going to be home. I mean, I think Tech was at Fargo Regional not, not a number yep. of years back. We, we, we don't want to talk about that. St. Though. Clark. <laughs> yeah, it's a broken, if I remember, it was a broken stick, wasn't it? If I recall. Uh, it nope, was time. Let's leave it there. Sweeney tripped on the blue line. <laughs> well, yeah, broken broken stick was Notre Dame. Uh, trip oh, on that the was blue Notre Dame. Okay. Yeah, yeah, trip on the blue line was St. Cloud. St. Cloud um, was the trip on the blue line, but it was also the coincidental minors called to allow them to have a five on four extra Late. attacker goal but, to tie it and, anyway yeah. i'm pretending we didn't talk about that <laughs>
So speaking of the playoffs, uh, we actually had heard this question on the Joe Sean hour today, and he didn't actually know the answer. I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but I might as well ask you, what is the playoff format for the CCHA this season? It is the first round is best of three. The semifinals is a single game and the championships a single game. So and those are separate weeks, one game in each of the yes. higher seats building. The, if one and two yes. win, it's hosted by one and two. And yeah. Yes. Yep. And the higher seed will host. Um, and it gives a little bit more flexibility if, if the team want to play on a Friday or Saturday. But I mean, as of right now, it's best of three the first weekend. And then on Saturday, the set, it'll be Saturday semifinal and then the championship game that the third week on a Saturday. And the reason we did it, and I know the, the player, the coaches really want it. If you end up playing two, three game series back to back weekends, I mean, it, it takes its toll, it takes its toll physically, mentally. Um, and, and again, the worry of, of uh, injury as much as anything that uh, when you play those six games in, a, in an eight or nine day period, and not to mention even for the fans. I mean, if you're hosting, I mean, that's a lot of hockey. If you're asking your fans maybe to come to six games in, in about a 10 day period and, and pay, whereas now, you know, everybody can, you have a better chance to sell out your building in a semifinal in a one game shot. Uh, then you certainly do it in a, in a best of three. And so that, that was a reasoning behind it that, uh, that we thought we could really, the ADs felt they could market it, uh, and the coaches as well, that better chance, much like the championship game has become such a big deal. It's just a one game winner take all and you advance. More yeah, like you know, basketball, right? Survive in advance at that point in time. And, yep. you know, the, the first weekend, you want to make sure the better teams advance. And, and so you're not a one game upset, but once you get to the semifinals and certainly in, in the CCHA and, and most leagues that, that it's not so much of an upset on who wins once you get to the, those final four teams, anybody can beat anybody else on a given night. So that's not a, a, a thing implemented because of COVID and it, it's not no. planned to change in the future if things go back no. to being more normal. Okay. No, this was kind of the more, this was set in motion a couple of years ago and they were looking to, to, to go to that format. But once there was no fans a year ago, uh, it, there was no point because there's no attendance. So then it was in a position to just to go to the one site with four teams again right. at the higher seed. And, and I, I think it's a good format. If I'm a fan, I'm excited about it. I, 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 there's nothing better to go to a game and <laughs> you win and you keep going or you lose and you may be done for the year. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I like the format as well. I think it makes a ton of sense. You know, there's been a lot going on with Huntsville and Anchorage and now Robert Morris. And uh, like, what are your thoughts on all of this, like GoFundMe type stuff to try and save these programs over time? I know we've been quite frustrated, especially with how the Robert Morris stuff went down. But what's your perspective of what's going on with that kind of stuff? Well, I think it makes it difficult in the long run. Uh, you know, what happens when the GoFundMe money runs out? I mean, at some point, it, it still gets back to institutional commitment. And, and that's why I talk uh, about that with teams maybe we're knocking on our door and want to be a part of our league, that we have to make sure that we would vet them and, and, and understand that they they have to have the institutional commitment. They can't rely on, you know, I understand that donations are part of, your budget, uh, but at the same time, 
whether the, the donations are there or not, whether the attendance is there or not, the institution has to have the commitment, the financial wherewithal, uh, that they're putting the money into scholarships and recruiting budgets and equipment budgets and staffing and everything else that's a given as part of the cost to to have the program. And if you're not doing that, and you're going to say that, well, we're going to pay X amount and you got to fundraise Y amount every year to continue to have hockey. Well, that's just, to me, that's not institutional commitment. And it's a recipe that whether it's two years down the line or five or six years down the line, it just doesn't seem real feasible that that will continue. And, and it's a successful recipe for success. Yeah. I feel like you can only go to the well once, right? I mean, you, yes. you can do that once to your fans at that point. It, it's not going to be successful again. I don't think. It's it, it, very difficult. Yeah. You look at it from like Huntsville's perspective. Like I know I gave some money. I know Mike, our columnist gave some money. Like, there's only so many times you're going to get the fans of college hockey to support various teams going through these struggles. And, and the Robert Morris one just bugs me a ton because it like, I feel terrible for the hockey players and the hockey staff at those universities, but it was made clear by the way it went down that the school doesn't really want hockey anymore. And if they don't care, it doesn't matter how much you fundraise if you don't have the institutional support. And I understand that behind the scenes, it seems like there's been a ton of action by big boosters that really like hockey to basically say, if you don't have hockey, I'm not going to give money for these other things. And maybe the university backtracked, but like the way that all went down, it was not about money and suddenly it's about money. And it just, it, it irked me the wrong way. And I feel bad that the players and the coaches had to go through that, but it's not, it's not fair to ask us to keep stepping up and paying for this stuff. Yeah. The financial burden should not be on the fans. Well, I couldn't agree more. And, and, uh, and again, it gets back to the word institutional commitment. Uh, and, and there's a reason why seven teams left the old league, uh, because of the frustration from other teams, not having the institutional commitment and promises made and promises not kept. And, uh, that's why the CCHA uh, was born again, and rightfully so. And so and this is somebody that, you know, I have vested interest in both Alaska programs. I certainly have uh, took teams to Alabama Huntsville to play games. It's a, it's a, it's a great city uh, as far as that's concerned. But if the institution doesn't want it, long term, it's not going to happen. And, uh, you know, the old chicken with the egg, well, if you let us into a conference, we'll make more of an institutional commitment, but you got to make the institutional commitment before you're, anybody's going to let you into a conference. So again, it, that has become the difficult part. Arizona State's a great example. You know, they, they have the institutional commitment when you're building a 5,000 seat arena, that's $100 million and you're doing it for other sports as well. Uh, that's, that's the institutional commitment. You're, you're not looking to see, well, let's see how this works. No, we're going to do everything we can to make it work. And when you, when you have that, then, then you have a chance to have a successful college hockey program. Then you're going to be in a position to maybe a team, uh, a league is going to want to add you, uh, when you, when you add value to a league, like, like they will. And when you are playing in a subpar facility, when you are not, trying to upgrade uh, your program in any way, 
there's a reason why you win a handful of games every year, and that doesn't do anybody any good to win six or eight games a year and be a part of a league. It just it hurts the league overall. It doesn't help the league. Yeah, that makes sense. So we don't want to hold you too long, but we have a couple of listener questions that I think we can get through pretty quickly. Um, uh, John Sleeman wants to know if there are any plans for the like, cross-conference scheduling with teams out east more. I, I know as a CCHA fan that I would love to see more ECAC and Hockey East games instead of just playing the NCHC and the Big Ten all the time since they tend to be, at least in the current thing, a little a little more difficult matchups for us than, than some of our Eastern opportunities, I guess. Well, I think uh, part of the problem with the Big Ten, it's very difficult to get them to play in your own building. You know, it seems like uh, if you look at how many non-conference games they play at home, it's probably 70% of them are at home, which obviously is going to give you a better chance to, to win. How non-conference games are usually scheduled is each in- institution does their own. And it, it's usually driven by, you know, reciprocal games. It's driven by uh, friendships with coaches. Um, that in many ways dictates who you are going to play. Uh, you know, if you're Bowling Green, you, you're going to look to probably want to play more Ohio State, Miami, Western, you know, Michigan, Michigan State. Same with, you know, Lake State. You know, Tech, you've got your, you've got your games with um, – you know, Michigan, Michigan State and the GLI. Uh, I don't know if you've ever played Western Michigan much. I know you've had a number of games, Wisconsin, uh, UMD. So some of it's it's proximity for travel. Uh, and a second is the ability to uh, agree to play somebody home and home where, yeah, we'll go out and play you two. You come back and play us two the, the following year or so. And then it becomes, you know, available weekends. Who's available on a certain weekend? And quite frankly, a lot of times Eastern teams don't travel or don't need to travel a lot because, again, they can get in a bus and go two hours down the line, down the road and play somebody versus getting into a plane to, to go play. So all, all that comes into, comes into play. But, no, as a league, we will not um, get involved in, you know, telling somebody, you know, who they should play or as a league you know, let's try to play teams from a certain conference. It's each institution has to make those individual decisions, what's best for their own program. So to follow up on that, as a former uh, Big Ten WCHA coach, was it institutionally pressed on you to be playing 70% of your non-conference games at home? Uh, yes. I mean, that was back, it was some of it was budgets. They wanted us to play X amount of games at home. And if for the most part, what we did when I was at Minnesota, we always had our, our Mariucci back then at Christmas time. So that was going to be, you know, two, two home games for us. Two other teams were going to, you know, get a chance to maybe play us or play a non-conference neutral site game. Usually we would buy it, buy a team um, just to come in and play two games at home. And then the other games would be more home and home. So you'd be, because we had Alaska in our league, so we, we had an opportunity to play a lot of eight games uh, um, non-conference because we had a 28-game league schedule. And then we also had Michigan-Michigan State. So depending upon in that showcase at Thanksgiving, did we play them at home or did we go play Michigan-Michigan State on the road? That dictate, uh, dictated what we did with our other non-conference series. So 
basically what we've played for the most part was, you know, 20 at home, 16 on the road uh, at that time. And some teams like are, are even more skewed. I, I know that like, you look at Penn State, they usually play almost all their games at home versus on the road. Yeah, I'm glad to see that at least uh, Tech has been kind of standing up to that, not taking those two-for-ones. I think that's yep. that's where the, the smaller universities have to say, no, we want to see games as one of our fans, even though it's a financial hit at times. So the small schools have to stand up for that. Yeah, and we've we've tried to emphasize that as a league, the the importance, and that's one of the things you go back to. You know, Huntsville basically played every road game, non-conference. They were on the road and they lost those games, and it just it hurt everybody else. So, you know, we pretty much I wouldn't say we haven't mandated, but I, I think it's very strongly advised that as much as possible in a thirty-four game schedule that you know we want to be. 18, 16, or 16 and 18, depending upon the year, or 17, 17. You know, we do have that odd uh, schedule where, you know, it's it's 12 and 14 or 14 and 12 with the 26-game schedule, and they know that well enough in advance uh, as far as trying to get your non-conference game schedules. But we don't want to have a situation where year in and year out, somebody has eight non-conference games and only playing two at home and six on the road that that's not good for their program it's not good for our league it's not good for the other members of our league as far as the pairwise is concerned at the end so it's it's, it's strongly urged and i think they understand at some point i mean you got to get teams that are willing to come back and play you at home too yeah for sure it's, it's been really good to see carol bliss quinn wants to know and it's kind of related here uh, what commitment does the CCHA make toward the independent programs at D1? Is there anything league-wide to support the teams that are independent at this point? No, there's nothing league-wide other than um, how they fit into your own schedule. Uh, we don't encourage, we don't discourage, because one of the things you have to be careful of, again, there's the old adage for non-conference scheduling is play the best teams you can beat. And, you know, if you're playing a team that's an independent and they're not winning very many games, it doesn't do you any good in the pairwise. It can only hurt you if you lose. And I know they made that change in the pairwise a few years back that it can't hurt your RPI. So if you play a team and you win twice, your RPI can't go down for that. It can only stay the same. Whereas if you're playing somebody that's a higher quality team and you win those games and your RPI can go up, you can get possible bonus points in the RPI depending if they finish in the top 20 uh, at the end of the year in the pairwise, you have those bonus points, which you, you see listed in, in uh, the, you know, you go online now with the pairwise, whether it's CHN or, or USCHO, you can see that right now. And that could all change come the end of the year, who ends up in the top 20. Uh, but you have to be careful about playing too many of those games because if you're playing a whole bunch of them, it's really not going to help you much in the pairwise. As I said, it can only hurt you. Oh, and you have more opportunities to have a bad night and lose one of those. Yes, exactly. And then it really hurts you. So, again, the, the, the trick to the pairwise is the old adage, schedule the best teams you have a chance to beat. And it doesn't do you any good to play a bunch of good teams and lose all of them either. One of the things we talked about this summer that I think kind of plays into Carol's question was we are sending refs to Fairbanks for home games, right, and also supporting them when it comes to disciplinary actions. Yes, that's yeah. that is correct. That we um, we are uh, it, it works out good for both. We're not sending linesmen, but we are sending uh, referees up to their games. 
Um, and and uh, it's good training for some of our referees. We still have referees that like the trip, that want to go up there. And that if there is a disciplinary uh, situation that we do, uh, Kevin and myself will look at it and make a determination for, for supplemental discipline. So we are helping them uh, with regards to their officials. It stole a little bit of my follow-up question, Thunder, that I was going to ask you. Do you think your experience and how much as a coach, does that help you as a commissioner? Because a lot of times the commissioners aren't attached to the sport they're commissioning, right? You know, they're sort of an administrative post as opposed to someone that may have a ton of experience in the sport itself, which like you see Fenton is going to do uh, a a non-hockey league at this point, right? There is no hockey in the league he's going to. So your experience as a person that has such a history in college hockey has to help as a commissioner, knowing what those coaches and what those players are going through. Exactly. And, and uh, that doesn't mean that they I haven't had coaches yell at me this year. I have, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that's all part of it. You know, it's again, you got a rope a dope, but you know, take the punches and that that's all part of it. But communicating what we're trying to do, what we've done. Sometimes there's things behind the scenes that have happened this year that the public doesn't need to know about. Um, and I think the more we can communicate with our coaches and ADs on incidents that do happen, uh, the better it is for everybody. And, and the more we can communicate across the board, too, because if we have an incident that happens in, in a game at, uh, at Lake Superior State that results in something, I think everybody needs to be aware of that. I mean, maybe it's not going to be aware publicly, but I think it's important for the coaches to know and the ADs, know, hey, this happened. This is how the league handled it. So, so you, you know, a situation was dealt with in the proper manner. And they've got an idea of what to expect if something similar happens to them or to, to their opponent or whatever, that yes, that, that they have a better understanding of, of what is and is not too much and, and how you're going to handle yep. it. And that's just behind closed doors and nobody knows what happened here or why somebody was out two games. And, and, and even officials are going to make, a bad call. It's going to happen. You know, we're big on the officials need to know the rule book. Don't make a mistake on the rules, but judgment, you're going to, there's going to be judgment mistakes. I mean, you got the NHL, which was full-time officials or the NFL, but you, you take the league, the officials are going to get grief. I can tell you the officials take great pride in what they do. They're a fraternity, uh, much like players or, or coaches. You have your officials they want to get it right. They don't want to make a mistake. And I go back to when I was a player, we had an official and, he, and I'll never forget it. You know, you'd, he'd make a call and it might've been a bad call and you'd go to him and he'd say, Hey, I effed up. What do you want me to do about it? It's a bad call. <laughs> I guess you're right. I, there's nothing more I can say. And, and, but I do, even the fans have to understand it's easy to be, it's a split second decision and it's amazing how often, even on replay, how they get it right. Uh, most of the time, the officials get it right. And, and it's a fast game. It's a difficult game. They're doing everything they can. They're watching video. They want to do it right. And, 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 and uh, I guess being a commissioner and, and being on the inside and working with the officials like I have this year, whether it's in the CCHA or across the country, I think that's one of the things that's impressed me as much as anything and maybe surprised me to a degree the passion that the officials and the director of officials for each league have for our sport and how much they, they want to get it right. And, and, and how they want to really help college hockey in general, which is, 
it's reassuring to me is my role now, but in, in same with the fans, but let's face it. You're at a game, you're a fan, you're passionate, you know, you're a Michigan tech fan. And when, it, when it's a 50, 50 call, you think you're, you're getting a shaft by the referee. And, and when you, and I've had a lot of games where I've talked to the, the coach, I said, you know what? I thought they called a pretty good game. I mean, I'm at the game. I'm not seeing anything that was that out of the ordinary. Um, so, you know, I think that helps when they hear that from me uh, because of my experience of 30 years as a coach. No, there's been plenty of times when I was behind the bench, I didn't feel that way. <laughs> now I'm, I'm a lot more objective now when I'm sitting up top and really evaluating. No, yeah. definitely thinking back to games in CCHA Barnes this year, like I don't remember a whole lot being frustrated with the referees. I think the only thing that comes to mind is that Saturday game against St. Thomas where I was in the building and and feeling like uh, I did not comprehend what a face-off violation is and how Tech got mm-hmm. called and, and, and St. Thomas did not. And uh, beyond that, like I cannot really remember a moment where I felt like the refs were bad or or uh, losing control of a game or taking the like making the game about them. Like I haven't felt that this year at all, and that's that's a testament to what you and and Kevin Langseth have done this year to to promote the way that they do things. And, and uh, I would agree. Like I. I've been at every ben- venue for a game and there wasn't a game I was at where it's like, Oh boy, the referees were awful. No. Did they make a bad call? I'm sure they did. Did they miss a call? Sure they did. But I never walked away from the game and said, Oh, that was a debacle. What the heck were the referees doing? And I've even, I've even seen good communication for the referees where they get to, excuse me, get together and get their call. Correct. Like you see in the NFL where they, they huddle, you know, what happened, let's get it right. Um, and, and I think they've done a good job with that as well, which I think is great when there's communication between the referees and linesmen and they all get together and say, what what, did, what actually happened here? Let's get the call correct. Yeah, it's, it's a tough spot for them to be in. You know, you said everything's split second, everything's fast. It, everyone's giving you stick. You, you all will feel unappreciated, but if they're not there, the games don't happen, plain and simple. Yeah. So, you know, it's a role that needs to be there. It's a role that needs to be filled and it's been night and day difference in the last years, so we're 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 all pretty happy with it. Well, we want to keep improving. It's 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 never going to be perfect, but uh, the more we can do to continue to educate our referees and get everybody on the same uh, page nationally across the country, I think the better it is for college hockey. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And I, I'm really I really like to hear that it's getting shared nationally too. You know, because sometimes when you do watch an Eastern game versus a Western game, when we do see those conference games, you do notice, at least historically, a difference in the way those are called. You know, Eastern hockey seems to be less physical, more more uh, calls quickly, whereas Western hockey let things go more. Mm-hmm. So seeing that be across the board, being shared across the board, and, and there being that back-end communication, is that's an interesting step to hear is happening. Oh, yes. And, and we've, we've met every month since the start of the season, and it's – a good hour and shared videos and you know is this a penalty or is this not a penalty how should we call it uh and just trying to get everybody on on the same page it's never going to be 100 percent accurate but uh the more we can do to share videos and 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 try i think the better off we are that's yeah, going to show how much the game has changed in the 30 or so years right <laughs> you know, it's incredible because the use of video and and how much better you know the video is 
that you have access to and how quickly it is to, sh to share a video, wh whether it's on an iPad or your phone, that you can look at it almost instantly. Like I said, I, I'm watching major penalties in the middle of a game that happens someplace else because I'm just getting them sent to my phone or my iPad when I'm watching the game streaming. I mean, that's a service that can be paid for too. And the and it's instant stats and stuff, the way Dom is doing them are they're they're they're, uh, they're good to see. I the, the Twitter feed for the CCHA has been great for that too. Watching the highlights that Dom puts together, you know, it's it's been a altogether uh, a different experience that we expected and were told and we'd hoped would come out as I think really has come to fruition. And like you said, well, it's only going to get better. Yeah, and Dom to give him credit with those highlights, it's incredible what he's done with those highlights. I mean, he's up till three or four in the morning getting those highlights out after a Friday night or Saturday night game. I try to tell him, I mean, geez, Dom, just do a few and get up in the morning. He's not, it's not how I operate. So he, he likes the fact that there's only a couple games and it, it makes it really difficult when there's, you know, eight teams are playing different opponents and not in the league when you, when you sure. have all those highlight packages. So, you know, now we're getting more in the league here as we get in the second half. So there's only four games to do versus maybe six, seven, eight in a given, but that's a real credit to him and his passion that, uh, I don't know. I don't think any league comes close to getting those highlights out like he does on a given night. No, I'm really impressed with the the CCHA social media presence has been has been fantastic. It's it's been really good. And again, that's a credit to Dom. That's that's uh, out of my pay grade. All that stuff I can promise you. <laughs> Well, I can think of worse things to get paid for to do. I work in IT, so oftentimes <laughs> my, my work is overnight a lot of the times for IT stuff. So I can think of a better way to spend my nights I'm watching hockey and putting together a highlight package. Yeah. Sounds yeah, well, like a you're decent a night thing owl. to get paid for. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm always one of those from my coaching days, so I'd rather get up at 6 a.m. than go to bed at 4 a.m. I can promise you that. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> well, thank you for your time. I, I didn't think we'd – well, I knew we could go this long, but I appreciate you giving us 90 minutes of your time today. My pleasure. It's, it's always great to be uh, with our, our true hockey fans like you guys are. <laughs> and I'm excited that people will actually get to hear our conversation this time and, and not just wonder what we talked about for six months. So, yeah, thank you for so joining there is us. Oper there is operator error, just like, you yep. know, what happens in our broadcast. That frustrated us for so long because we had such a great conversation and now it's just lost to the abyss of the Internet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. I, I, I will never forget going to hit the stop button and not having a stop button to hit after you, you logged off. And I've and never seen dropping. him so mad. I just, oh, <laughs> no. so, all right. Well, thank you for joining us, Tom. Right, I'm sure we'll talk you. to you again. Yep. Right, thank you very much. Thanks, Don. Have a great day. Bye. This week for the Fantasy Challenge, the theme is New Blood. So we have five players that haven't made an appearance in our challenge yet this season, and they're from teams that we haven't seen in the challenge yet. I can't wait to hear about this awesome kid from AIC. Let's go. <laughs> All right. First is <laughs> Big AIC Matt, guy. Matt Steenberg, a forward from Cornell. Steenberg has seven goals, 11 assists in 12 games. Cornell is ranked ninth in the country, and this weekend they are traveling to Grand Forks to play the fifth-ranked North Dakota Fighting Hawks. Second, Sean Farrell from Harvard. Farrell has seven goals and 10 assists in 12 games. Harvard is ranked 19th in the country. This weekend, Harvard travels to Eastern New York to play Friday night against RPI and Saturday night against Union. Third, 
we go to Atlanta Hockey, uh, and we have Colin Bielik from Army. Bielik has scored seven goals and nine assists this season in 18 games. This weekend, Army is hosting conference rival Canisius for two games, which should be a very competitive, even matchup. Fourth, going west, way west, Brady Risk from Alaska. Risk has five goals and eight assists on the season in 18 games. This weekend, Alaska makes the very long trek east to play at Maine. Talk about a road trip. <laughs> I, think I think that's the longest road trip possible in college hockey if, if you're doing that. The math. That may well be. <laughs> Both teams are unranked, but Maine has been especially bad this year. They've been in the bottom five or so in pairwise all season long. So there's a chance for Alaska to score some goals potentially. And last, forward from Ohio State, Jake Wise. Wise has scored six goals and 11 assists this season in 18 games. The Buckeyes are ranked 17th in the nation, and they travel to Madison to play two against Wisconsin this weekend. The order is Rob, Dustin, Matt, and Tim. Like I get a pick on the week where it's like a complete and total random toss-up first. <laughs> <laughs> Let's wait until my theme next week. I got a good one for next week. I love this theme. Watching Tim's face the whole time was classic. <laughs> well, I'm like, who the go... hell are any of these guys? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm going to go with Brady Risk goal. from Alaska. I'll pick the Alaska guy over, <laughs> over, uh, over Maine. I'll, I'll pick my other, right. my other Homer pick. <laughs> so it's me now. Um, I am going to go with... I kind of like going last on this one because yeah, it's I'm right. Harvard. I'm going Harvard. Take guy. the coin flip. Sean, yeah. Sean Farrell from Harvard for me. All right. So now it's me. I'm just happy. It appears yes. that I spelled most of these guys' names correctly or close it enough. De- yeah. It's way different than my notes that I put down. <laughs> I'll take, I'll take Steinberg or Steinberg. However you pronounce that. I think it's Steinberg. I don't know. Either way. Steinberg that's who either. I want. Let's pick the fellow man. All right. Matt's taking that. That's my homer pick. <laughs> uh, All right, Tim. Ohio State or Army guy? Oh, I want the Ohio State guy. All right. We're leaving Army to the ghost. I'll take anybody against Wisconsin, and I kind of wanted the Ohio State guy. And even though they're random guys, they're all guys that can score, and I feel like they're all fairly even. So One minute <laughs> remaining in the podcast. Well, that should do it for this episode of the Chasing McNaughton podcast. Please check out our Patreon and join by visiting patreon.com slash guide. Patrons at the white level or above get access to the quarterly Zoom chat featuring guests like John Scott, Joe Sean, Brad Patterson, Cam Ellsworth, and more to come. Patrons at the black level or above receive access to extra podcast content, including extended versions of every podcast. I'm going to start throwing this plug in there. Patrons at the gold level or above receive access to the unfiltered YouTube video of our podcast each week, which usually gets posted right away the same night. Although I usually post the link the next morning at like the same time that everything else goes because I usually go to bed before the thing is done uploading. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Chasing MacPod or at Tech Hockey Guide. You can submit questions through Twitter, Facebook, or on our Patreon page. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast 
on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find the podcast on your site of choice, please let us know and we'll make it happen. The more you rate, review, and share, the more we can reach your uh, reach. So tell your friends. We're going to try something new this year. If you give a five-star rating, Dustin will read the review. You leave no matter what it says. So let's get rating. Let's get some ratings. That's specifically on Apple Podcasts, I believe. Uh, so let's see what you have to say. Try to be a little more respectful than, than Biddy was, but whatever. That's the fun of it, right? Uh, once again, thanks to our sponsor, Fibke Dental in Rhinelander, Wisconsin. And as always, special thanks to Mitch Lake for recording our new introduction and our patron saint, Doc McRezin, for his generous donation to get this thing running. We hope you enjoy. Also, thanks to the thank you notes for all the bumpers in this week's episode. If you like what you hear, check them out at thethankyounotes.bandcamp.com. been listening to the chasing mcnaughton podcast presented by tech hockey guide covering the michigan tech huskies and the ccha